My name is Eric Carroll. I'm the CEO of, of Keystone Academic Solutions. I want to welcome you all uh, to uh, the Keystone Higher Ed Chat. And um, we have a great guest today, uh, Stephen Hodges, president of Holt International Business School. What we're doing with these uh, Keystone Higher Ed Chats is, is talking with a range of industry leaders about a range of um, higher education uh, topics. Um, and um, we're really excited to have uh, Stephen. And the topic for today is, is how to build and lead the business school of the future. And Steve and I have had some time uh, to talk um, before this, uh, this um, podcast. And uh, it's, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a really good uh, session here uh, talking about the future of, of business school. Um, but before we get started, um, Steve, it'd be great to hear more about your background and, and how you go from being a McKinsey uh, consultant and working at Standard Charter Bank and getting a PhD and um, ending up as president of, of Holt Business School. So it'd be great to get um, an overview of your background. Sure. Uh, pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, so 15 years ago, Bertolt Holt, who um, uh, is a Swedish self-made billionaire, he's the founder um, and owner of EF Education First, which is the world's largest private education group, and, and he's the financial benefactor of the school. He offered me the role of president of Holt, um, and um, because in his words, I was smart enough to run a company, but stupid enough to have a PhD. And, and he thought that was perfect for someone to run a business school. And, and he told me um, at the time he offered me the job that I could do anything I liked with Holt. Um, and you know, I really saw Holt as an opportunity to combine my love of academia early in my career. Um, when I'd started on my PhD, I wanted to be a professor with the business skills I'd accumulated from my time at McKinsey and Stan Sharp. And, and when I, you know, the real motivation for me and remains the motivation for me today is that when I look back at my own education experience, I couldn't think of a single aspect that could not be improved through innovation. And yeah, I really didn't see the industry changing. So, so I saw Holt as a vehicle for being a rebel with the calls within an industry that I thought needed shaking up a bit. No, that sounds sounds great, and I I'm I'm excited about this chat too because I I have I also got an MBA and and that was quite a few years ago, so I'm I'm very excited to hear more about um, your vision for the school and and um, before we get there though, it'd be great to get some more facts and figures about Holt and sort of Holt's mission. Sure, like I. Holt's vision is to be the most relevant business school in the world. I mean, we think that that is um, an opportunity that the most prestigious schools in the world have left open. Um, and, you know, what does being relevant mean? It, it means providing students with the knowledge and skills needed by employers in today's world. And it's really founded on the simple but powerful belief that you can only truly learn by doing. Um, at this point in the evolution of Holt, we have just under 6,000 degree students across both undergraduate and graduate programs and across um, our campuses um, around the world. Um, we have campuses in Boston, London, Dubai, and San Francisco. And um, we have around 6,000 students a year on our leadership programs um, paid for by um, their employers, which are typically uh, Fortune 100 companies um, around the world. And then finally, and sort of unusually, we make our educational philosophy um, of learning by doing freely available to students around the world via a competition known as the Holt Prize. 
um, their participants are challenged to come up with a business idea that solves a major social issue such as poverty or clean water, access to healthcare. And um, we award the winner a um, million dollars. This year, over 250,000 students around the world are competing um, pretty much from every major university um, in the world. So um, that's the sort of scope of what we've built Holt into. Six thousand students. I mean, that's a that's that's some serious scale, and and you're also it's a it's obviously a university or a business school which spans, you know, multiple locations. How what have been the keys to success? I mean, how have you what have been the keys to growing um, the business school in the in the last in the, in the last years to get to that type of scale? And also, how is it like to to manage uh, and lead you know institution that has so many campuses? Um, well, let me start with the sort of simple answer to how we got there. And I think, you know, if I, if I um, uh, rang down a lot of hard work um, um, to the essence, I think we primarily have grown halt by focusing on the needs of students and employers. You know, that's resulted in us building campuses around the world and focusing our programs on business practice, not business theory, because our students want to be successful in business. Um, and employers want graduates who understand business practice and who are able to add value from day one. I mean, in terms of what it's like to manage um, a institution that um, has campuses around the world, um, you know, it is hard work. I mean, I, you know, um, I mean, it means discipline on my day in terms of speaking to Asia and the Middle East um, first thing in the morning and then San Francisco at the back end of my day. It's why I'm based in London because that's a, a good time zone to um, manage a global school, um, uh, even though the bulk of our students are in the US. And, and obviously, there's a lot of complexities because we have global accreditations as well as local regulations um, in each location. So we're probably the most accredited and regulated um, school you can possibly imagine. And I mean, I guess it, um, in terms of, you know, your students and because obviously it's a, you know, it's, it's a competitive world out there, right? The, you know, businesses are competing for the, the best and the brightest um, out there. And I think one thing that um, I'm really interested to hear is just how, how do you differentiate, you know, Holt? Uh, what are your kind of unique selling points? Um, you know, if you're a prospective students, a student and you're looking to go to business school, um, how do you look at Holt or how should a student look at Holt compared to say a Harvard business school or a, or a you know, Wharton business school? compared to say, you know, a Copenhagen business school? I mean, what, what are the, you know, what's the, uh, what are your keys kind of unique um, attributes compared to these, these types of schools? Sure, um, so I think, you know, it varies slightly from program to program, but um, the, the three common threads across all of our programs would be first, the ability to move between our campuses during the course of study, we call that campus rotation. So. So as I said, you have, we have campuses in Boston, London, Dubai, and San Francisco. Students can start in one of those um, locations, but then they can move to multiple other campuses um, during their program. And we, we also offer electives in Shanghai and New York. And when you meet the students, that's probably the number one reason why they um, um, choose whole. And when you meet them at graduation and you uh, chart their course, through the various campuses, there's always a reason whether it is, um, um, you know, most commonly looking for careers or looking for adventures or um, um, as part of their family business. 
um, that, that flexibility is really valued by students. Um, the second reason, as I said, we focus on business practice, not business theory. Our faculty um, all have significant experience in industry as well as a theoretical background. And our curriculum forces students to put um, classroom theory into practice. So you know, it really attracts students who are um, really want to roll up their sleeves and, and, and um, you know, go into business practice. And then finally, um, the school, we recruit students from uh, over 130 different nationalities in any given classroom. There's 40 different nationalities. There's no dominant nationality. So it, it sort of, um, um, you know, even if you don't leave, say, Boston campus, you will get to understand um, people and cultures from around the world, graduate with friends around the world. and and. Our campuses, you know, they feel like a, a very intimate atmosphere where, you know, the professors know all the names of the students. So it's, it's a nice international learning environment. Hmm. And in terms of like, um, I mean, what's the mix in, I mean, I presume you guys rely heavily on, on adjunct professors from, you know, from industry, right? That's um, a, is that a... Um, no, um, um, you know, we did at the start, but now at the scale that Holt's grown to, we have a lot of full-time faculty. And, um, you know, the ideal faculty for Holt would be someone who, like me, got a PhD early in their career, then worked in industry and, you know, um, and, and um, um, now wants to move into academia or, or someone who was in industry, got fed up with the rat race, then went did a PhD. And, you know, but all of our professors, um, are hired because they have, have a great ability to teach. And so it's that sort of um, theoretical knowledge plus practical experience plus ability to um, um, uh, perform in the classroom is, is our hiring criteria for faculty. And, and at this point, I mean, I guess 60, 70% of all of our classes are delivered by full-time faculty. Faculty can move between campuses just like our students. So one of the reasons why faculty would join Holt would be the opportunity to teach in multiple locations and see what's happening in the world um, to inform, you know, both their teaching and potentially their consulting. Yeah, one thing would be, I think it's, um, you know, it, I'm, I'm looking at this from an employer standpoint, because I, I mean, I think, I think that, you know, Keystone, we're, we're, we're looking out for looking out for uh, talent. Um, and, um, and so I think, I think one of the angles, which I think was interesting when we, we spoke, you know, ahead of this call was just, you talked about, I mean, you have a case study approach, which I'm familiar with in terms of where I went to business school, but you, one thing you emphasized there was also the, the that you, students are out in the field, they're actually doing, you know, real world, real world projects um, with, with companies. Um, I mean, what, what is a typical week for a student at Halt? What, what are the, what's the, the mix between kind of in-class case studies and working with, you know, real customers on real issues? I mean, I think, you know, typically, I mean, I mean, be varied depending on which cohort you're in on, on a full-time program, but, you know, the morning would be in class and the afternoon would be working with your team on a project and probably half the projects are sort of um, case study type, um, 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 sort of manufactured cases, if you like, and half of them are real world set by um, um, companies um, that come in um, to the uh, classroom. And, and 
that would be on individual courses. Um, all of our programs have um, what we call a future business challenge, where that's a dedicated period of the curriculum where students are forced to think about where the world's going. Um, so looking at trends, whether that is AI or uh, blockchain or any of the um, you know 3D printing, take a trend like that, and then and really project. So what does that mean for a client, or what does that mean for um, um, if you wanted to do a startup? And so you know one of the things we realized is that um, um, students, you know, Eric, you and I are of an age that we've seen the world change. We can remember a world when there wasn't mobile phones and there wasn't Snapchat, and there, but a lot of the younger students think this was. They don't perceive that the world is actually changing and so forcing them to actually spot trends and and predict where the market's going to go as they think about their strategy and, and the business opportunities and even what career they should think of you know um 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 because um, um, as you know it's a lot easier to be successful if you join a growth industry rather than a um, um, an, an industry that's at the end of its lifespan so so those are the things that um, you know we bring into our curriculum. And I mean, one thing that um, which I, I think is also very interesting about, I mean, just when you're talking about sort of keeping up with the times and and uh, students of today being having a different perspective than than the two of us when we were um, in school. Um, although I do I do remember having a mobile phone uh, when <laughs> when I was in business school. But in any way. Um, one thing I think was interesting uh, when we spoke earlier is is um, how you guys design uh, your programs and how you design the curriculum. Um, could you just talk a little bit about, I think that's an interesting angle, is, is actually how you develop your, your curriculum to kind of stay ahead and stay up with the times. Yeah, um, we've made, so we use big data. So, um, you know, for each program, we derive our curricula annually by um, uh, using data um, from a company called Burning Glass, which takes all the job postings for the jobs that we know our graduates want to go into um, upon graduation um, from that program. And that, and that gives us the skill set that employers are looking for. We can even look at trends within those skills to predict um, 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 uh, what skills are gonna be needed in a couple of years. And then, and then that informs us, we map that back into our curriculum um, and so for each course that we offer on any program, uh, we, we now concentrate not just on what students need to know, but what do they need to be able to do. And, you know, um, that approach is quite novel within higher education. Um, you know, most schools would rely on, say, a corporate advisory board and their own faculty to inform them. Um, and they would tend to concentrate on knowledge more than skills. Um, but, but we're really trying to take the perspective of the, what is an employer want into all of our programs to make sure our, our graduates are job ready. Mm. Okay, so that's, um, I think that's, I mean, I think it's a very, very interesting approach to designing your curriculum and, and you know, being very much database, uh, data oriented when designing programs. Um, one thing that, as we kind of shift gears and move a little bit more into your views of the industry, um, just in terms of before we kind of get there, though, um, just curious about your 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 success around. And we have you know people on the call who are going to be presidents and deans, you know, in in business schools. But we also have people who uh, work in um, in in the recruitment admissions um, area. Um, so it'd be really interesting to hear you know I think your perspective on 
on how you guys, because you guys have had, I mean, you have a very good reputation um, in the market in terms of, in terms of, you know, competing uh, for students. And so it'd be really good, good to get a sense from you in terms of um, how you guys go about uh, the whole recruitment process, because you guys have had a lot of success. I mean, 6,000 students is a lot of students to, to um, attract, you know, into your programs. Yeah, look, what have I mean, been your keys to success there? Well, I mean, you know, the first thing is that, you know, 15 years ago when I took over the school, we had something like 60 students um, and so and, and no reputation. So there was no catchment that I could live off of. You know, we had no choice but to drive enrollments through um, 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 marketing of our programs. And you know, at this point, in um, the evolution of Holt, we use a variety of channels to market our programs to potential students, you know, including traditional channels like education fairs, and then more recently, you know, through digital channels, you know, such as paid search, etc. And obviously, we've been a long-term customer of Keystone um, through building um, out Holt. I, I think, in terms of our marketing capability, there's three key reasons for our success. The first is that, um, and obviously this is what you teach in marketing, um, but a lot of companies forget to do it. We, we write the marketing material from the perspective of a student. I mean, a lot of our, um, um, if you look at a lot of marketing material of our competitors, you know, they talk about what they do, but they often miss why is that important to a student, um, uh, mistakenly believing it's self-evident but we write it from a different perspective. The second thing is that we've worked hard to develop the whole um, brand to make sure that it's fresh, bold, and innovative, you know, in contrast to most schools who, or most of our competitors who really rely on their heritage and prestige. Um, you know, if you pick up any of our marketing material, it's unmistakably whole and, and sort of stands out from the crowd. And then finally, um, we, you know, as we've built Holt, we've um, um, opened offices around the world. So at this point, we have enrollment advisors all over the world who are able to meet with students, um, answer their questions and build a relationship with them. And I think those are the three key facets of, of our sort of, um, um, enrollment strategy. Mm. I mean, I think you have a reputation of being, I think you're, you're proud of that reputation, which is being you know, a disruptor in a way in the market, really, you know, trying to sort of um, change the way a, a business school is, you know, business is taught in, in business school. I mean, how, what do you see, what do you see Holt in five years? And, and how do you kind of maintain that, that disruptor? How do you continue to be an innovator in the space? Um, so kind of vision, five-year vision and, and sort of, you know, what innovations do you foresee in the coming years um, that, that sort of takes, your business school and business school in general to the next level. Yeah, look, um, you know, there's a lot of questions in there. Let me let me sort of unpack them a bit. I mean, the I think the key thing is to keep looking for interesting big problems to solve. And at the moment, there's really three major um, problems opportunities that I'm focused on. Uh, the first one is how do we help employers upskill and reskill their workforce. I mean, there's, it's a big topic. Um, there was a McKinsey report um, um, late last year that said something like 60, 70% of, of the workforce in Western countries needs to 
reskill or upskill to remain in employment. And, and that's a big headache for um, both employees and employers. And so we're, we're focused on what role should we play in helping that happen? You know, it's that that led us to the partnership with EY to provide all their um, employees with the potential to earn a, a free, what we call EY Tech MBA by Holt um, and um, discussions with lots of other major employers around the world. And the second challenge that we're focused on is how do we reduce the cost of education? I mean, the tuition fees for education are sort of steadily risen, um, you know, particularly in the US. Um, and, and so there we're exploring a range of technologies to help drive, drive down the cost of education without impacting the learning outcomes. Um, obviously, like most schools, we're playing with um, various forms of online education and have launched online programs. Uh, but the most innovative thing that we've done in recent years is uh, build a video game and testing using video game technology to um, um, teach business. We, we built a video game to teach strategy. And interestingly, in our field test, um, the learning outcomes of students playing the video game were equal to attending our professor of the year lecture. But, but from my perspective, the video game had zero marginal cost. So completely changed the um, economics of education. And then, and then third um, problem by far the most ambitious, but um, uh, actually the reason I'm um, here in the Middle East uh, at the moment is how do we help solve youth unemployment around the world? And um, uh, you know, following on from the success of the whole prize competition, we're in discussions um, with governments and NGOs, uh, particularly in emerging markets, to provide entrepreneurship training to young people to um, help uh, you know create employment opportunities and alleviate youth unemployment. So, so for me, I'm constantly looking for you know bold, interesting um, um, uh, challenges for us to take on as an institution, which aren't constrained by what a normal business school. Um, um, necessarily does. Um, I think you asked, so, okay, where do you see Holt in 10 years? You know, I don't, you know, really have specific goals. I mean, obviously, I hope that you'll continue to see Holt being a, a progressive force within higher education. Um, but all I ever tell anyone who works at Holt is that I, I just, you know, whether that's staff or faculty, is just to everyone to continue relentlessly pursuing the vision of being the most re relevant business school in the world. And if we do that, if we, if we constantly question whether we're relevant, um, um, you know, if we, if we do that well, then I'm sure we'll continue to be successful. So, you know, that's the extent of my tenure vision. Okay, good. One, one thing I, I just, I really wanted to just ask you also, it's, it's um, a little bit, maybe a little out of context, but it's something which, which um, I mean, I, I know is is uh, is on people's minds as they apply to you know students and parents as they assess uh, universities in general, and, and anyone who, who applies to business school is going to be looking at rankings and that sort of thing. And how how what's your perspective on the rankings? Um, you know, what, yeah, just what's your perspective on the rankings, and and if you could uh, make changes to the way the rankings are done? I'd realize there are a multitude of different company, you know, institutions doing these sorts of rankings. But I, I think big picture, just be great to get your overall perspective on rankings and that sort of thing. Yeah, look, I think, you know, undoubtedly rankings are important to prospective students. Um, I think that is in part because they 
um, believe employers really care about the rankings, um, probably far more than employers really do care about the rankings. But um, and, and I think in part because, you know, it's hard to differentiate between many schools. I remember, you know, before I took this job, the first thing I did was go to an education fair and I walked around the various schools. And honestly, it looked a bit like a travel show. I mean, you know, the only thing I could really differentiate between the messages of the schools was where they were located, um, um, not their actual educational content. Um, so, so I think the rankings in that market, the rankings become uh, a way of making a choice. Um, you know, in terms of the ranking methodologies, I, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. I, I think, um, um, you know, something like the Financial Times where a lot of the data comes from the alumni themselves rather than the school is probably, um, you know, a, a more robust methodology. But, but honestly, you know, my focus isn't so much on that um, or any, in any given ranking. You know, what we're focused on at Holt is making sure that we have a compelling and unique story to tell. And, and if you can differentiate from the market, then of course you're less at the whim of where you fall in um, the rankings. Okay, we have some um, we have some questions from the audience. So um, I think uh, just to go through them, we have a, a question here. How do you assess teaching abilities when you're recruiting um, lecturers? That's the one of, one of the first, and that's the first question. We also have a second question. Okay, yeah. So the first question is, um, um, you know, the vast majority of our faculty. Um, at the time of interview will have taught at another institution and they will um, uh, uh, come with teaching evaluations, so we use those. Second of all, um, you won't get a contract from Holt, which is full-time um, off the bat. You will start as an adjunct professor teaching typically an elective, um, and then you prove you do well in the Holt classroom, and then ultimately, um, um, uh, that will lead to more and more teaching and, and ultimately a full-time um, um, uh, uh, faculty position within Holt. So that's a hiring process. Mm. And, and I mean, if you look at the backgrounds of your, your full-time professors, I mean, how, how, what's the mix between sort of academic teaching experience and having experience from, from industry? Uh, they would have probably more time in industry than necessarily you know, teaching, um, but but all of them would bring significant teaching experience. So, you know, um, um, into the classroom. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, probably, you know, if you force me to say 20 years in industry and 10 years of teaching before they come to Holt, um, um, you know, a lot of them, particularly the ones who took PhDs early in their career, have taught continuously whilst they've been in industry because they, they love academia, they love teaching. So, you know, it varies, but but the key thing is that you know, um, you know, one of our professors on um, uh, new product launching founded North Face, and you know, um, um, one of our professors who teaches accounting was CFO of Amex and things like this. So it's like you know, um, um, we have venture capitalists talking about um, um, you know teaching fundraising and such like. So it's it's those kind of people that we're keen to bring into the classroom. No, no. It isn't as simple as just bringing a CEO in the classroom. A CEO, you know, once they is very popular, but once they've run out of war stories, um, they're not so um, um, good in the classroom. So you need someone who can combine the sort of 
academic frameworks with the ability to teach case studies and such like um, and, 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 and pose interesting projects for the students to work on with the war stories that the, the students craze, uh, crave. And, you know, it's interesting if, if we throw, if we ever throw a professor into the classroom who's only got a theoretical background, the students can sniff it out very quickly, right? particularly on um, the programs with work experience such as the MBA and EMBA, um, or of course our executive education programs. Um, um, the, the, the students can spot someone who, who only knows theory, um, but, but hasn't really been in the real world, so. You, you talked about, is just a following question uh, from, uh, from one, one of the listeners. Um, you, we, we, you talked about earlier about how you've been using use big data to, to help design your curriculum and sort of stay up to date and stay current. Um, what's the feedback loop? Um, I mean, do you have a, feed, a feedback loop with industry? I mean, do you have, like, you, you mentioned that some, that, do you have an advisory board? Or, I mean, how, how do you get input from industry um, and companies in general that are, that are doing the hiring uh, as, it, as it relates to your curriculum? Yes, well, I mean, we have a longer sort of cycle feedback loop um, um, by talking to um, the major employers of our graduates, but that's a much more qualitative um, approach. Um, the, the sort of big data is really used to, um, make sure that we're um, um, tuned into what skills and you know and the, the weakness of any advisory board even if you have a large advisory board is still the perspective of those individuals in those particular companies or those particular industries and um, um, you know by using the burning glass data we we just make sure that we get a very wide perspective on um, you know on, on what employers are actually putting into their, their job adverts so Okay, just to move on to a, a, another question from, from the audience. Um, the question is, um, how does the rotating campus model work oper operationally? Um, do they deliver a dedicated theme or a stream of a program? Uh, so it's, it's I guess, the, the question is, is obviously about how do you make, the, make this a seamless experience uh, for students? And I guess um, the other, I think, interesting question is, are there some, uh, do certain campuses have a, a specific specialization? Yeah, so operationally, all our programs are taught in lockstep. Um, um, and there are, you can only rotate between campuses at certain points um, in the program. But the way we've designed, I mean, the advantage of taking over the school when it was tiny was we built the campuses, everyone's on the same IT platform for everything. Um, when they turn up in another campus, I mean, the, the names of um, our organization are all consistent, so they know who to talk to for what. Even the design um, of the campuses are very similar. We try to give each one a, a unique flavor, but, but ultimately the base design of our schools um, is pretty familiar. So, so students can sort of move seamlessly um, between uh, campuses without duplicating or missing anything in the curriculum. In terms of specialization of the campuses, we don't allow any campus to sort of really specialize on a big theme such as finance or strategy or marketing. But of course, at an elective level, yes, we allow campuses to pick up local expertise. So uh, whether it's Islamic banking in Dubai or supply chain manufacturing in Shanghai or um, um, corporate finance in New York and 
you know, creative industries in London. So we'll allow an elective level, um, 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 you, you know, uh, the campuses to vary. And that's obviously a major motivation for um, uh, students to rotate and it allows us to really tap into the local um, industry expertise in our education. Just, just one, one thing uh, that's sort of related is um, we talked. You, you obviously one of the things that you, you know, one advantage or or uh, angle here with 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 uh, Holt is um, these, you know, having students work with with companies and and do field work with them. Um, how 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 do you go about doing that? I mean, how do you is it, is it how how do you set these things up with with companies? These sorts of projects because of course. Because I can think of it as an employer, you know, um, it's always exciting to, you know, we, we have a summer internship program and it's, it's great bringing summer, term, summer interns in and they pro provide a lot of value. But there's, there's a, um, you know, if you have too many, it, it starts, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, um, yeah, it, it, it's a, there's a, uh, it, 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 it's problematic when it comes to managing. Uh, if you have too many interns, it, it gets problematic from a management standpoint. But how do you, how do you go about doing that, working with companies uh, on, on the fields of study? Yeah, I mean, we've had to iterate that to in order for it to scale up and continue to work with employers. And mm. you know, so one of the key insights in how we design our um, projects uh, with employers is to, to, to create a challenge that multiple teams can work on in parallel, right? Yeah. So. You know, so the company sets a challenge, the teams um, will get time all together with the management team to answer questions, um, and then they will compete to present to the client at the end of the project. That, from an employer's perspective, that is very efficient because, you know, there's not much more time to deal with 10 teams than there is to deal with one team. And at the end of the day, you only need the team, one team to come up with a good idea to make it worth your while. Um, you know, obviously, if we kept to one client, one team model, well, at the scale of Holt, we would need lots of companies and lots of problems. And from an employer perspective, you know, if you don't like the output of that team, well, it was a waste of your time and you don't really want to do it next year. So by having this um, multiple team approach, um, we've been able to keep employers coming back year after year because, you know, they find value in the insights of the students. Um, 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 and so, yeah, we just have to work with companies to come up with an interesting challenge for the students. Um, and, and we find companies uh, both through corporate relations um, as well as through, obviously, we hire professors with industry contacts. So the professors have um, good industry contacts to source projects. Yeah, and then I have a, a, another question that's related, actually. Um, and part of it's you've already answered, but the question is, do you have specific corporate partners with whom you work with over time? Um, or are you sourcing companies for projects on an ongoing basis? And so if we're, always, we're always sourcing. So there'll be companies that sort of come back. Um, um, you know, they don't necessarily come back every year, but they come back, you know, every couple of years. But we're always on the lookout for companies that have interesting problems for students to work on, um, uh, of course. Mm, yeah. And then uh, one other question we have here is, does Holt have a focus on research 
And if so, are there priority areas? Yeah, um, so, I mean, early on, we were sort of unashamedly a teaching school um, focused on teaching excellence. Um, as we've broadened our accreditation, um, at this point, we have um, all the major business school accreditation, so Equus, AACSB, and AMBA, and, and that process um, has led us to do more research. Um, um, but being Holt, we do it in a non-traditional way, so faculty aren't free to do research on whatever they like. Um, if they want access to our funding, then there are um, um, three uh, uh, broad areas. Um, um, one is uh, research into innovation and how to make innovation happen. Um, the um, um, second one is how to change behaviors within individuals and within companies. So, um, and then the third one is uh, teach, research on various teaching pedagogies because it's interesting, you know, when you look at the research areas, there's not a lot of people doing research into the effectiveness of higher education. Most, most education research is a sort of K-12 level. Um, and so we wanted to encourage our faculty to experiment in, in different ways of, um, of, of teaching business at uh, a, a undergraduate and graduate level um, or even in Zec Ed. So, so those are the three broad areas that um, our faculty would do research on. Hmm. What, what, are, what are some things, um, and, and you may have already touched on this, but just to ensure, um, are there some sort of big areas, as you know, we talked about research, but there's some big sort of um, areas of interest from your perspective or from the, the business school's perspective in terms of big, big themes uh, going on? I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot of focus on, you know, climate change and this sort of thing, but are there, are there some, some sort of big um, areas where, um, you know, business, you know, has a responsibility to support, uh, you know, big issues? I mean, what would those, if, if so, what would be those areas of particular interest uh, to yeah, you? And you know, I think, well, and this is where sort of academic research versus sort of R&D as you'd know it in an industry are sort of yeah. fuzzy for Holt. So, you know, um, um, the, the two big themes, you know, that we're interested in right now are um, upskilling and reskilling of employees and, you know, how best to do that? What what do they need to know to stay relevant? And how do we best teach it when they're all around the world being work, you know, busy working professionals? And then the second one is um, innovating in how we teach business with a particular lens on driving down the cost. So, you know, now that's probably not the typical sort of academic research that, you know, you potentially, um, um, but from my perspective, those are very much things where I'm interested in the research output to drive the strategy of the school. So I'm, I'm almost like the first customer in line for um, the output of that research. Hmm. But it, it, on this theme of upskilling, what, 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 what are the focus areas there? I mean, what skills are, um, you know, you talk about this program you have with ENY. I mean, what are the particular areas of focus in that whole upskilling? Yeah, um, I think there's two broad themes you could characterize. One is, well, maybe three. Um, one is how, you know, in a world that's changing so rapidly, how do you problem solve your way out when you can't really, you know, how do you predict the future, in, you know, in an unpredictable world? So, so it's a problem solving in a complex 
um, environment. That is one very basic skill that um, um, uh, companies need increasingly um, because you know they just can't rely on well we've always done it this way therefore it will work into the future no but they, they have to think differently uh, you know in that vein the second thing would be understanding technologies such as um, you know AI 3d printing you know autonomous vehicles um, um, you know CRISPR blockchain I mean you can name a whole bunch of disruptive technologies um, you know, um, some people call them exponential technologies, just understanding, not understanding necessarily how they work, but understanding where are these things going and what do they enable and, you know, coupled with the first area of skills is, so what does that mean for me if I'm a manufacturer in India or what does it mean for me if I'm, you know, a, a car maker in Germany? So, so those are the sort of two areas that they need almost all, well, all employees to kind of understand. And then the third area which they need um, leaders to understand is how to drive change management within the company, right? Because there's more change than there's ever been. So you, first of all, you know, have to be able to identify where you need to go in a rapidly changing world. But then, of course, the challenge is to get your company to move fast enough to um, um, take advantage of the opportunities that you see. Um, and so, so those are the sort of broad areas that we see companies um, asking for help with um, at at um, you know, at a leadership as well as um, um, individual contributor level. Mm. I mean, one one interesting one one sort of um, question I wanted to ask is is you know COVID um, is, has obviously been a real disruptor. I mean, I think there are a lot of people, including myself, that that um, I mean, the idea that we could be working uh, from home office for a year and and seek I me. Mean, it maybe it's easier for a small company, but you have large companies like Google, Facebook, you know, big companies where people are working from home, and it seems like productivity is is um, uh, at the same level or even higher in in, in in a number of cases. So, how how do you see um, COVID once we come out of this? I mean, how do you see this change in business? What what's your perspective on how this will change? You know, a a leader. A leader's approach, you know, businesses' approach to managing people and leading people, and and how they they run a business. Um, I, uh, you know, I mean, as with any pandemic, they accelerate trends that were already kind of in play, right? I mean, and um, you know, so for industry in general, uh, you know, I mean, there's lots, but say digitization. Um, um, of processes, being able to do things remotely, um, um, et cetera, um, uh, uh, have all been accelerated. I mean, if you take the higher education industry, which obviously I know best, you know, the, the move to online education has been immeasurably um, um, uh, you know, sped up. There was a debate, you know, even within Holt, on whether you could teach business effectively online. Well, guess what? You know, one day in March last year, the entire 6,000 students and all their faculty had to move online and we had to make it work. So, um, 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 you know, I, I don't think that when we come through this pandemic, the world is going to snap back to the way it was pre the pandemic. I mean, and, and for us, how people find um, um, in their higher education institution, 
how um, they expect to learn um, um, and um, as I said, the upskilling and reskilling, which was a trend, that's all going to be accelerated because all the trends in industry have been accelerated. So I, um, you know, a lot of my time is, is how to make sure that Holt comes out of the pandemic stronger than when it went into it um, in, in, and sort of take this as a, if you're a disruptor, you should pray for disruption because that sort of um, um, help sorts the wheat out from the chaff. So um, um, that's what we're focused on. Hmm. Okay. Um, one sort of uh, fi final question um, is, um, and it's more of a, more of a uh, summing up uh, question. I mean, there, there are leaders, business school leaders, um, you know, on this, on this uh, listening in, you know, on our video podcast. I mean, as you look over the next five years, I mean, what advice would you, give your colleagues you know in the field as they move forward over the next five years what would be kind of your key mantras or or um, pieces of advice for them uh, going going forward well i mean it's obviously a very dangerous question for me to answer but about what um, you know the first thing i have to acknowledge is that i was very lucky to take charge of a very small school that i could essentially mold from scratch right i mean i could I was in a position of being able to put in place policies, governance processes, and a leadership team that enabled us to be agile and responsive to the market. Um, you know, more established schools, you know, many of our competitors are well over 100 years old. You know, they often have very cumbersome governance processes that are difficult to change and make change difficult. So, so deans in that situation certainly have my sympathy and. Um, you know, I think, I think in many ways, Holt's main competitive advantage is the agility of our governance processes, quite frankly. But, but nevertheless, I think all deans, you know, if they want to thrive, ultimately, you know, deans of all schools will need to pick a problem area um, and, and use innovation to drive their continuous improvement. And I think there are many problem areas that they could choose from, whether that's improving student satisfaction, improving graduate employability, helping this upskilling and re um, and, and reskilling, reducing the cost of tuition. I think, you know, there's many problems that um, a school could pick, but I, I do think that if, uh, if a school wants to thrive, then they have to pick at least one of these areas to focus on and, and make change happen. They probably can't pick as many areas as I can, um, given their governance processes. But if if they don't pick a challenge area, then you know I can't see them thriving. Mm. Okay. Um, well, thanks. It's been a, a a real pleasure to have you and and, and discuss um, you know Holt and also the future of business school. Um, any any sort of concluding comments uh, you'd like to make uh, before we uh, sort of conclude the session? No, I, you know, I, as I said, I, my motivation for quitting industry to come and run the business school was to try and innovate within higher education. That ultimately remains the motivation for me personally and my entire leadership team today. Um, you know, I don't, we wouldn't be so arrogant as to think that Holt has the answers, but we're, we're certainly not afraid to try um, um, different approaches. So thanks everyone again. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you everyone for joining. And I wish everyone a, a very pleasant uh, Thursday.